the state and the nation have once again come together after the horrific events of another mass shooting, this time at MSU. The deadly assault on the campus ended with the death of three students and another five students wounded. Most of them remain in critical condition. As news broke over four hours of a lockdown and manhunt for the shooter, many of us found ourselves reaching out to those with connections to MSU. That includes the tens of thousands of parents and guardians with kids who attend MSU. The helplessness of communicating by text with kids ordered by police to remain quiet and barricaded in their rooms is the stuff of nightmares. My son texted a picture of how they had barricaded furniture against the doors and window of their apartment and asked my husband if he thought it was going to be secure enough to hold anyone back. I said, okay, this is when we stop talking and when you can only text me and you need to be quiet, grab your charger, go into the bathroom. Today, we'll talk with two MSU parents who are fighting for change after the tragic shooting on campus. This is Stateside. I'm Mercedes Mejia, in for April Bear. Kelly Dillahay and Jennifer Norber are two of those parents, and they join us now. Kelly, Jennifer, hi, thanks for being here. Hi, Thank thanks for having us. Could we just start by talking about your kids and what they like about going to MSU? What are they studying? Well, this is Kelly, and I have twin sons who are juniors at Michigan State. One is studying supply chain management in Chinese. And the other is in public policy at James Madison College and double majoring in economics. They love MSU. They are involved in activities. Aiden's on the esports team for the university and Brady's on the Irish dance team. So they really have made a lot of lifelong connections and friends through their activities and feel very supported by the community before and, of course, after this incident. Jennifer, how about you? I have a freshman. Jacob is in the computer science and video game design school and also has really just made a lot of great connections up there immediately, is really enjoying his time up there, is in several groups as well, and definitely feels a part of the community. And of course, that comes into play with what just happened. Yeah. Kelly, can you tell us where your sons were on Monday night? So my sons live together with a couple of roommates in off-campus housing, about a mile away from where the tragedy happened. At the time, we got our first message from them around 8.50 p.m. And it just was a text message from Aiden saying, something's happening on campus. And it just felt in the pit of my stomach that something was horrible because that's not a normal way that he would communicate with me. So my husband was putting on the news and I was trying to call them. And in that couple of minutes of trying to grab the phone and you know punch in their number and then wait, because <laughs> normal 20-year-olds don't answer the phone on the first ring anyway, and they didn't. So it was it was the fifth ring, I think, when Aiden finally answered. And you could hear there was something wrong. They knew something was wrong. They were getting the messages from MSU police to run, hide, bite. So that's what they had done. They were in their apartment. So I I knew right away, I was lucky. I was one of the parents who could actually speak to my children because they were far enough away initially. And at first, I think they felt a a bit of safety in the distance away from the initial incident. But as the next few hours unfolded and there were rumors spreading on social media, the kids were listening on the police scanners, we're watching on the news, they started to feel hesitant. They didn't know where the danger was moving to. 
And so they um, started to become a little more concerned. And that's kind of the worst part of the evening, I think, for us is when my son texted a picture of how they had barricaded furniture against the doors and window of their apartment and asked my husband if he thought it was going to be secure enough to hold anyone back and if there was improvements they could make to how they had barricaded. And that was kind of the low point of the evening because you're trying to remain calm as a parent who's quite a distance away. And we were grateful they weren't right at the scene where things were happening. But then again, you just weren't sure because of all the rumors that were happening at the time. Mm -hmm. So it was a, a real struggle to keep our voices calm and keep them focused on what was happening. God, I, I can't even imagine that situation, that scenario. Jennifer, what about your experience on Monday night? I get the text alerts from the university. So that was the first I heard was with the text that Kelly mentioned that said, run, hide, fight. And, you know, I read it one time and brain didn't totally get it and read it again. And the same kind of thing, your heart just drops into your stomach. And so I called my kid and they did answer on the first call <laughs> on the first ring. And I said, do you know what's going on? And they said, yeah. And he's on the first floor in a dorm that also wasn't close to where everything was happening. But we said, you know, are your blinds shut? Uh, lights off. Don't stand by the by the window, all that kind of stuff. And then as I was talking to him, his sweet mates said something to him and I could hear them talking in the background. And then my kid says to me, oh, swear word, mom. Um they're in the dorm that's behind us, which wasn't true, wasn't true. But of course, we didn't know that. And as Kelly already mentioned, there was just a lot of rumors and people, of course, understandably panicking. And, you know, but in that moment, we were afraid that that was the truth. And so um, I said, OK, this is when we stop talking and when you can only text me and you need to be quiet, grab your charger, go into the bathroom. He said, we're going to barricade our door and we're going to barricade the sweet mate's door as well. So, again, knowing that they had to take that type of action is scary. And then in hindsight, so blessed and grateful that that was the extent of what had to happen for them. Um, immediately after he told me that, I texted him and I said, where did you hear that information from? And he said, you know, kind of through the grapevine, I said, okay, that's not reliable information. People are probably panicking. All the stuff that the news is saying, that the scanners is saying that it's not right near you, but they haven't found the person yet. Then again, that was a very long four hours for everybody because they just didn't know. And then we offered to go pick him up that night. I had several friends who were in a nearby city just waiting to get the all clear to get their kids. My kid just said, no, I'm exhausted. I want to go to bed. And then they called us the next morning and said, I I don't know if I want to come home. I think I want to come home. You know, there, I understand that your prefrontal cortex, your brain is not thinking properly. And so... I made the decision. I said, listen, if you think you want to come home, I will grab you. And I went and got him, gave him a big embrace, brought him and a friend home. Like I said, it just seems like a nightmare that no parent wants to go through that. Have you talked to them about whether their feelings about school have changed? Do they want to continue with MSU? This is Kelly, and absolutely they do. I think each person's experience was very different depending on their proximity to the violence and, you know, what they were hearing during the time. Like I said before, my sons have had wonderful experiences at MSU. They live a little bit further away. For them, getting back into a routine would be helpful. Jennifer, have you had that conversation with your son? Does he, does he want to go back? 
Yeah, we've talked about it uh, when I picked him up and was driving him and his friend back and I offered, I said, you know, if there's something on campus, I live about, we live about an hour away. So I said, if there's something on campus you want to go back up for like a visual or something, I'm happy to drive you up there. So we keep checking in and there's been some extra cuddles <laughs> and yeah, I'll, I'll continue to see and continue to discuss this. And just to echo what Kelly said, yeah, every every student's experience is different and it does feel like there is a feeling of all of us wrapping our arms around all of these kids right now, right? And embracing their individual experiences and supporting them. And I'm glad to see that. And again, yeah, every kid's experience I think will be a little bit different, but he seems like he's taken it one day at a time. We need to take a quick break. More in just a minute. Support for the Stateside Podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. Support for Michigan Public's Stateside Podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. You know, the Michigan State Senate just introduced gun bills that would require universal background checks to buy a firearm and punish those who don't safely store their guns. You're both part of an organization called Red Wine and Blue. It's a grassroots organization helping women connect to social issues. They're also part of the statewide coalition and Gun Violence Michigan. So you're both involved in this area you know, there are no guarantees that one change in the law or another would have prevented a shooting like this from happening. How do you respond to critics who feel like passing piecemeal bills is just a pointless exercise? We've been involved in this for a while now <laughs> with various issues that bring women together. And this has been a concern. Uh, we both live in Oakland County. So we've been talking about this with parents since Oxford, since before that. This conversation isn't going away among women across the state. So this is very much something that women across the state that we work with definitely want. They want change. They want to see some meaningful legislation that addresses some of these issues. And I will say that as part of the End Gun Violence Michigan Coalition, the legislation that we are very pleased to see that was introduced yesterday it does address some of our issues. It doesn't address all of them that we want to see. So this is a good first step. And I think that when I'm seeing polling of people in Michigan agreeing with these first few issues, which are things like um, red flag laws, safe storage, and universal background checks, that's polling at over 80%. The vast majority of Michiganders, no matter what their political beliefs, this is a bipartisan issue that people agree with that they want to see change on. And so critics saying that these don't go far enough or that they're being critical of it, I think they're missing what the vast majority of Michiganders want. This is what people have been asking for for many, many years. So we're very excited that our Senate finally introduced these bills, unfortunately, in response to this particular issue. But this has been going on for a long time in Michigan. 
it's a step in the right direction. Jennifer, your thoughts? Yeah, I absolutely agree with all that Kelly said and that um, we have to start somewhere, right? So I'm glad to be a part of an organization, several organizations that have been working on this and that we're starting to make some progress. And I know that exactly what Kelly said, that women across the state are absolutely demanding action be taken. Can you both just talk about what brought you to want to do something about gun violence? My personal experience is that this is the third time that my family has been affected by gun violence, somebody that we care about, friends of ours that have been affected. The first time was when my children were in middle school. And I don't want to talk about that incident a whole lot because it very much affected my community, but my children's friend died as a result of gun violence in sixth grade. My own sorority sister, who introduced me to my husband and was a dear friend of mine in college, was murdered by her husband about six months ago. And now this. So that's my personal journey here. And I regret personally that I haven't been involved in this sooner. But it took me to this point to say enough is enough. And I'm out helping out with this every single day, all day now. Um, This week, I've been trying to talk to as many friends as I can, asking them to please email or call senators and state reps and let them know that we want this and we need this. I I just don't want to see any other families have to suffer. Kelly, I'm so sorry to hear all of that. That is a lot. Mm -hmm. Jennifer, what brought you to want to do this work and to share with us today some of the things that you're sharing with us? Yeah. Well, you know, the unfortunate truth is, is that there's not a single person who hasn't been touched by gun violence in some way or another. Previous to my work at Red Wine and Blue, I was a hospice chaplain and a grief support counselor. I also worked briefly at a level one and two trauma hospital and did some trauma response and saw some of that firsthand, right, as a chaplain supporting the family and supporting the friends and family of a gunshot victim then providing grief support to people who were affected by this as well. When I worked at hospice, I worked in the community of Oxford and that affected the staff and supporting them. There were some people I knew affected directly by that and just the effects of it. We all know this, that it's just so far reaching and so deeply painful and being on the end of somebody who, as somebody who is supporting people through that, although it didn't directly happen to me or a loved one, I've seen how it affects people and it's just, it's just not acceptable and we can do better. And being a part of an organization that is actively working towards taking thoughts and prayers into actionable steps for people has been really rewarding. Hmm. I mean, I think the interesting thing is we're at a point now where we can actually make change. And for years, Michigan's legislature wouldn't even discuss this issue. I hate that this is what finally brought it to the table. But there are people who have been working on this for many years, and we have a chance. So we're really just asking everyone who can hear us to please email or call your state legislators, your senator, your state rep, let them know that you care about these issues and that you want action now. It's great they introduced it, but we need them to actually schedule the hearings for this legislation and actually vote on it. And we need a two-thirds vote. So we need bipartisan support. And we need to let some of the legislators who are in districts that maybe 
They're worried about how people will perceive their vote if they vote yes. We need them to know that we do support them, whether they're Democrat or Republican. They need to know they have community support for these issues. Yeah, and I'll just add that besides asking people to reach out individually, talk to your friends. If every person who decides they'll reach out to their reps talks to three friends and then asks those three friends to talk to three friends and then so on and so on, right? Just use the power of our collective voices together and your networks and ask everybody that you know to do this too. Set aside some time to immediately do that and ask your friends to do it too. That's a simple ask and something that we can all, that we can all do. What would you say to people who very much are afraid that they won't be able to carry a gun or, you know, they're, they're afraid that the guns will be taken away? What, what do you say to those people? I mean, our end gun violence coalition includes Giffords, which is their gun owners are on our side. Responsible gun owners believe in this legislation. It's, it's very common sense. It's things like securely storing the weapon you own. It's a simple ask. And when we look mm-hmm. at what's happened in other states when they've enacted these few basic measures, it's had a huge impact on reducing deaths by gun violence. And so it's just common sense. People mm-hmm. who own guns believe in it. Moms believe in it. Students believe in it. And we need to do this to make things right in Michigan. Everybody wants our kids to be safe. Everybody wants our kids to be safe. Kelly and Jennifer, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. We wish you all the best. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. And that's the Stateside Podcast. I'm Mercedes Mejia in for April Bear. Thank you so much for listening. Hi, I'm Rebecca Williams. I'm Lester Graham. We've been working on a big project about Great Lakes birds called the Bird Connection. It will look at ducks and trumpeter swans. Egrets and herons. And piping plovers. Yes! We'll discuss what we've discovered at a Michigan Public Issues and Ale event. Including how some problems for birds are problems for people. It's at Arbor Brewing Company in Ypsilanti the evening of May 21st at 7. You can register at michiganpublic.org.